Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Those of you maybe who don't know, there's a team of nine of us that just got back uh, Tuesday evening from the Czech Republic. Part of a new global initiatives uh, thing that we began kind of before COVID, and God finally opened the door for us to take a group over there and spend some time working and getting to know and develop this partnership in a place that, that is unique to anything that I have ever experienced. And we spent 14 days, six hours ahead of y'all, and my body's still like, what are you doing? It's like my internal clock has not figured it out. So at like 4 o'clock every afternoon, it's like, let's go to bed. And I don't go to bed far from that anyway, y'all who know me. You come by my house at 9 o'clock, the lights are off, keep driving. Go to my mom and dad's house, they're next door, they'll help you out. But one of the things that you come back from, and first, let me say thank you so much for those of you who so persistently and consistently prayed for us. We needed it. We, yeah, we just, we're so grateful for the prayer warriors uh, that, that prayed for us from, from navigating travel in a really interesting time in the world to just safety and all the things that, that happened. And now that we've come back, I think we're all still kind of processing it. And if you've never been on a trip like this, you've never been on a trip like this. Because I've been on several things that I thought were similar, and, and it was so unique to this experience. And I'm trying to still process all the things that God's trying to teach me and show me and shake me from a thing like this, and, and it's still, it's, it's a lot. And somebody asked me the other day, like, how would you describe it? And it was physically demanding, it was emotionally draining, and it was spiritually frustrating, and I loved every minute of it. Because it's just, it's a different dynamic. You know, you, you fly halfway around the world and you start to engage in, with people who are so obviously different from you, yet so incredibly similar. That they are, they're people and they grew up different and they have a different culture. And when you get out of the bubble that you've lived in your whole life, you got a couple ways you can respond. And more often than not, as those of us from America, especially us good old Southern Americans, we respond with arrogance because we got Bojangles and y'all don't, so we're pretty good. Amen, somebody. Why did I think about all the things I could have thought of? Why Bojangles? But you, you respond in that way and you don't really get to know people, but it's amazing that in 14 days, how quickly you can begin to form bonds and relationships with people that were just a few days before strangers and how those relationships begin to shape you and form you and how you begin to try to understand their perspective on the world and why they think the way that they think. And you, you immediately find when you go in the Czech Republic that, that so many of the people you encounter operate from a very different belief system than yours. And you try to understand how that belief system was formed. And in trying to understand how someone else's belief system is formed, it forces you to kind of examine how yours was formed. And it causes you to wrestle with some things. And as you talk to people in, in the Czech Republic, you realize there's a lot of people that are still wrestling with the existence or non-existence of God. And many, if not most, have already come to that conclusion. And it's not where maybe you or I would land. 
and you know that these people who are amazing and kind and warm and yet disconnected from the creator, and you start to just ask a lot of questions, some you can immediately answer and some that I'm still wrestling with and probably will for the rest of my life. We spent the vast majority of our time working at this camp. And y'all, I've spent my entire life, almost every summer of my 44 years on this planet have involved camp, like especially church camp. But this was a camp, if, if those of us who led camps in America did some of the things that we did in Czech, they would have arrested us because it was intense. Like there's actually one thing they call, and if you hear, if you talk to any of our team, they're gonna tell you about the night game. And it is what you think it is and so much more. So they divided us into teams throughout the week. And so there were like eight teams of about eight people. And throughout the week, every day, you would have a team competition. Not unlike some of the camps that we went through, except these competitions, you got to be physically fit and you got to be smart. And I was the dumbest one on my team. It's legit. Y'all say, that's not hyperbole. That's for real. I had two people on my team that were Olympic cipher solvers. Yeah. And so all week you're, you're competing in these competitions and whoever has the most points at the end of the week wins. I, I won't tell you who won, but it was my team. Yeah. But one of the most intense experiences was this thing they call the night game, which pretty much at the end of the day, after you've gone through all the regular schedule of the day and finished the afterglow at night, they say, okay, tonight's night game. We're drawing for spots. And drawing for spots means you were going to pick which time in the middle of the night your team had to be ready to go. The last team to leave was 1.45 a.m. That is nine hours past my bedtime. <laughs> and literally, you go down, they blindfold you, put you in a car, take you from the camp, drop you in the woods, give you a map, and say the fastest one back wins. I'm thinking, somebody call the police. But it was, it was incredible because here you're walking through these beautiful villages in this amazing country far removed from the pace of all of our lives. And I'm here with this group of people that I've just started to get to know and we're walking down this road. The only thing lighting our path are so many stars in the sky, y'all. It looks like they're stacked on top of one another. And I'm hearing more and more about their stories and where they've been and what they've done in life and about their families and about their upbringing. And as I'm walking down this road, I look up at the sky and it's unlike anything I've seen maybe my whole life. You know, you're away from a city, so there's nothing to dim the beauty of the evening. As we're walking down this road, I think, God, how can these people in this place look up and see the same thing I'm seeing and not believe in you. And it's like God spoke into my spirit and said, Matt, you're wondering how they can look at it and not believe in me. Why do you look at it and believe in me? Why, why do you see the same thing they see and come to such a different conclusion? Because if we're both viewing what seems to be the same picture and landing in two different places, it must mean there have been other things that play throughout our lives that have shaped what we're seeing, that are causing me to see it through one lens and them through another. 
And in that space, I had to wrestle with, why do I believe in God? What has happened in my life and in my experience that has caused me to be walking down this path on this night, look up at those skies, and there's somebody in this group that looks up at the very same sky and doesn't come to the conclusion I have. And I spent a lot of that week processing why I believe in the moments in my life that have nudged me toward faith and the moments in my life that attempted, have attempted to rip me from faith because we've all had both, amen, somebody. We've all had experiences that affirmed our faith in Jesus and belief in God, and we've all walked through seasons that have caused us to question and look at me, both are okay. And I don't know which one of those you're in right now, but both are okay. And so when I got, we got finished with camp and a week ago, last Sunday morning, we got up and for the first time in 10, 12 days, we had a few hours where there wasn't anything to do. There was not a meeting on the schedule or a debrief or a conversation. And so I just grabbed my journal. And in the place that we were staying, is there was a sanctuary. And I sat in the sanctuary, and I just began to just mind dump and just write stuff in my journal and write and write and write. Some of it was coherent. Some of it isn't. And there were many things that came to mind because I, wa I wanted to note them. I started writing down experiences and things that I've gone through that have, that have, that have affirmed my faith and things that have, have chipped away at it and looking at those things and analyzing them. And one of the things that just greatly stood out in my spirit was the number of people that God has strategically put in my life that have passed on faith to me. And I don't think there's a single person in this room or a single person that's ever put their faith in Jesus that they don't have that as a part of their why as well. There are these faithful people that have been either drifted into your life or were planted in your life from the moment that you were born. People who believed that the scriptures were true, believed that God was real, and believed deeply that Jesus was the only way to know him. And they spoke that into your life and shared that with you and demonstrated his love and his grace and his mercy and what it really meant to live out authentic faith. They walked it in front of you in such a way that it inspired you. Testify, y'all with me? Come on. There, yeah. And Psalm 78 came to mind. Psalm 78, verses one through four. It says, my people, hear my instruction. Listen to the words from my mouth. I will declare wise sayings. I will speak mysteries from the past, things we have heard and known and that our ancestors have passed down to us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell a future generation, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord, his might and the wondrous works he has performed. I've had people in my life that have lived that out, have you? People that said, I'm going to pass on a legacy of faith to the generation that I've been entrusted with. And I wrote that word in my journal, big and bold, because that was the only word I could think of to describe why I am who I am in so many ways. Why I was able to walk down a road in Czech Republic 
and look up at the sky and see something more than just stars, to see the fingerprints of God all over that night sky is the result of a lot of things. The thing I can most contribute to probably see is the legacy of faith that's been handed to me. And I begin to wonder, is the legacy I leave gonna be as great as the one that I've been given? Will the legacy that I leave be as solid as the one that I was handed? And legacy is not a word that we think about a lot. You know when we most often hear it? At a funeral. Because that's the only time we ever think about it. When we go to someone on the other side of the ending of their life, we begin to hear about legacy. But this is what God has been teaching me. You can't wait till it ends to start considering the ending. You cannot wait until it ends to start considering the ending. Because look at me, the legacy you want to leave then is being formed by what you're doing right now. The legacy you want to leave then is being shaped by what you're doing, what you're deciding, what you're saying right now. And far too many of us, we wait till we get close to the end or we believe we're close to the end to start considering the legacy that we're leaving behind. So when I got home, I started thinking more and more. That, that word just is like it was just stuck in my brain. <laughs> legacy, 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 legacy. And there's so much that involves legacy. So I thought, I'm gonna, I want to look up the word in the dictionary. Like what's, what is the definition of this word? And so the first few things that old Webster says about it, I don't like, because that's not what I'm talking about. Because if you look at Webster's dictionary, one of the first things he's going to talk about is pretty much what most of us think. It's like the inheritance, what you leave behind when you're gone, the money, the cars, the house. And look at me. I'm not saying that's not something that we, we need to steward well what we've been given. And if you leave a, a, a legacy that helps support your family, your kids financially, more power to you. I think that is wise, it's smart, it's a good steward. But I'm talking about something that's deeper and much more important and eternal than just the cash that they're going to spend when you're gone. And finally, I got to this adjective definition of it. And it says, a situation that has developed as a result of past actions and decisions. And of all the things I'd read about legacy, that best describes how I was thinking about it in that moment. A situation that has developed as a result of past actions and decisions. That legacy is something that's long-term and short-term. That legacy is left at the very end, and also it's left every time you leave. And I began to think about, like, okay, what was our legacy in check? Yeah, Matt, you were only there 14 days. Yes, and in 14 days, the team of non-vintage church folks left some kind of legacy. That we had a moment, we had a window, we had an opportunity to leave a legacy, to do something while we were there that would result in something positive and faithful when we were gone. 
And God started just stirring this up in my spirit that, that so often, look at me, it's easy to live with a sense of urgency. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about necessarily living with a sense of urgency. I'm talking about walking through life with an awareness of legacy, that every encounter leaves a legacy. You leave a legacy with how you treat every single person you encounter. You leave a legacy at every job you leave. You leave a legacy at every school you walk away from. You leave a legacy. And that's the one thing that we have to understand. Here, look at me. You're gonna leave a legacy. What will it look like? See, that's not optional. Whether, whether or not you leave a legacy is not optional. You're gonna leave one. Will it be really bad at marriage? Will it be terrible with money? Will it be inconsistent in faith? Like, you're going to leave one, and you get one shot to do it. You get one shot. And I begin to think about my own legacy and all the places where I get to leave one as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, it's funny how in some seasons of life, you're, you have an awareness of legacy more than others. And it's usually in those transition times. Like, my kids start high school tomorrow. I can't believe my wife is old enough to have high schoolers. It's weird. <laughs> but the older they get, the more I'm aware of the legacy that I'm leaving with them. And if you get around my two, somebody's leaving a legacy in them because it's awesome to watch. And I started thinking about passages of scripture that I've read throughout my life. Like Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. And listen to this, verse 26. From one man he made every, every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. Just stop right there for a minute. That God decided that we would live here and they would live there, that this would be the time and point in history where he would put us. And he says he did this in verse 27. He did this that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, that I was chosen to leave a legacy right here and right now that this is my time, this is your time, this is our time to leave our mark on the world that God created, that we have a shot to leave a lasting legacy for the generations that will follow. I think about what God said to Esther when she found herself and they found themselves in a position that they didn't ask for, they didn't want it's Esther chapter 4, verse 14. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you 
came to your royal position for such a time as this. That church, look at me, now is our time. We are writing a legacy for the generation that will follow us. And my question for us is what will be left when we leave? What will be left when we leave? Will we hand something better than we were given? Are we living out our faith in such a way that it's solidifying a generation that's gonna need it more solidified perhaps than it's ever been? That we live in a time and a culture where there are more voices and more noise and more challenges to people of faith and choosing to follow Jesus than ever before. And so our need to answer that call is much greater than we think or are living out at the moment. That you're leaving a legacy. So my question is, what will be left when you leave? What, what legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? Because when you start to get this awareness of like, my life is impacting people. I'm living in such a way that, that every conversation is moving people toward or away from faith and from God. And the last 14 days, I've never been more aware of my words than sitting down with people in the Czech Republic who I know believe different, think different, and still searching and wrestling and gassing God. God, help me to know how to act and what to say in this moment that helps them to, if, if, if not get curious, stay curious about who you are. Because I love these people. And I want them to know you, not so that I can make them a part of my tribe, but so they can be your child. And then I began to just examine my own life. It ain't never fun when you start doing that. You start seeing the holes and things. And, the, and I started thinking about, all right, well, if we know this, if we know without doubt that we are leaving a legacy, how do we leave the legacy that we really want to leave? What, what do we change? What, what's the best pathway? What do we do in order to continue to, to leave the legacy that, that, that lasts? And I think about the church for the last 14 years. You know, we think, well, the, the church is writing a legacy. And, you know, you, you step into the check and you realize that, that one of the difficulties of bringing people to faith is because the church left a legacy there that has been more hindrance than helpful to people believing in him. And some of us come from a church legacy that did anything but push us toward Jesus. I think, okay, if we're gonna continue to be, I started thinking about our church. In just a few weeks, for the 14th time, we do live love. 14 years. And I started thinking, well, what about 14 years from now? What will it look like? What will it be? Will we still be relevant? And God put something in my heart that I wrote in my journal. All right, how, do, how do we leave a lasting legacy that is the legacy we want? And I think everything I see in this book indicates that love is the pathway to a lasting legacy. That love is the pathway 
to a lasting legacy. And I know y'all push back against that because it seems so simple and so philosophical, but everything I see about what Jesus said to his disciples and about everything that I know about God from his word is love is the pathway to a lasting legacy. So much so when Jesus came to the moment when he had to hand his legacy and entrust it to a group of people that none of us would pick, his first disciples, he said exactly this. Go to John chapter 13. Remember, this is that moment when Jesus is in the upper room and he has one last chance to say the things to his disciples, to leave a legacy with them that he would have to entrust to them because he was going to be crucified. He was going to ascend. He was going back to the Father. And these guys, these guys were going to be entrusted with the legacy that Jesus had just spent his life building. And look at what he says. I give you a new command, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I said, this will be how they know. How will you build a lasting legacy? The same way I built one in you. Love people the way you've seen me love you. That love, look at me, love is the pathway to a lasting legacy. One of the most difficult things about our time in check is it's hard to kind of measure whether or not you were successful. <laughs> you don't get to see some of the things you get to see in other places. And so if you ask me, what do you hope you left with the folks that you encountered in the Czech Republic? I hope we left a legacy of love. That those people were different. They were weird. We had never heard English like they speak English. But even though we were so different, those nine people seemed to genuinely and authentically love us. When you think about, see, I think the church has believed a lie. The church has convinced, obviously, the way that you stay, the way that you continue to leave a legacy is you stay relevant. Right? The way that you leave a legacy is you stay relevant. But we have believed that to remain relevant, it's all about innovation. That the way that you remain relevant as a church is to, it's all about innovation. And now don't hear what I'm not saying. Innovation is phenomenal. We need to innovate. We need to constantly think about new and better ways to resonate with generation after generation after generation. If you hear me say amen. But I am convinced that the way to remain relevant is not about our ability to innovate, but our willingness to love people. Because if we don't love people, we'll innovate our way out of the very hearts of the people that need us most. That you can have all the innovation if you want, but all you have is a shiny toy, and what people need is genuine love. Love, man. When people walk out of this room, who cares if they think that was cool? That was cool when he does so much. When they walk away, they think, those people really love me. I think that's at the heart of what Paul was trying to tell the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 13. I know you're used to hearing 1 Corinthians 13 at a wedding. Look at me. That is not a wedding scripture. 
You can use it as a way, but its intent was in the heart of Paul trying to help the church understand what it would take to keep the gospel moving forward. Let me show you. Go to 1 Corinthians. We're going to start in chapter 12. Chapter 12, start with verse 27. Hear the context of this. This is where sometimes the, the chapters and verses and the places that people put, put these markers in the Bible doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because really the thought that's picked up in 13 is, is in flow with what's being said at the latter part of 12. It says, verse 27, now you're the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret? Now, don't get lost in all that just yet, okay? Then he says, but desire the greater gifts. And then he says, I will show you an even better way. That Paul's saying that God has gifted people in the church with all these different unique things, these different gifts. And the purpose of those gifts is not to elevate the person who possesses the gift, but to use and leverage that gift to draw people into curiosity about the gospel. Y'all with me say amen. That God uses miracles and things, all this awesome, cool stuff to draw people's eyes and attention, to get them willing to listen to the message of the gospel. But he says, there is a better avenue. There's a most excellent way that God wants to use to draw people to himself. And then he says in verse 1 of chapter 13, but if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. And if I give away all my possessions and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, he says, if we have all these things, all this stuff, look at me, even if we operate in charity, but are absent of love, nothing of any significance is being left. Y'all with me? Say amen. Verse four, but love's patient and it's kind. It does not envy and it is not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. And it does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and it endures all things. Because see, verse 8, love never ends. But as for prophecies, they'll come to an end. As for tongues, they'll come to an end. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. As for technology, it will come to an end. As for all the other things, as for lights, they will stop working. Like all these things will eventually end. But the one thing that will not end, the one thing that will remain, he's about to tell us. Say verse 9, for we know in part and we prophesy in part that when the perfect comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but the face, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will... Know fully as I am fully known. Now, these three things remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
that love is the pathway to the lasting legacy that you really want to leave? What legacy are you leaving through the life that you're currently living? That if we're going to leave a lasting legacy, if we're going to see generations and generations and generations standing on solid faith in the culture in which God decides to put them and in the boundaries he lays out for them, it's on us to start living with a mindset of love and looking out, look at me, looking out and seeing the world and seeing humanity not as projects but as people. You can't have a relationship with a project. Those, those people that don't believe like you, that don't believe in God, they are not a project for you to work on. They are people for you to love well. They're people. And what I've discovered is when we lead with the love we have, we clear the way for the truth we believe. When we lead with the love we have, we clear the way for the truth we believe. You want to leave a legacy? Look at me. Lead with love because it is the most excellent way. One more thing I want to remind you, though, or one more thing I need to clarify. Look at me. The legacy we leave is much more about what you do out there than what we do in here. The legacy that you leave is much more about what you do out there than what we do in here. So you got to leverage the influence you have. I love what happens in here, but if it doesn't impact what happens out there, then what in the world are we doing? Mark chapter 5, and I'm done. Mark chapter 5, there's this story about this demon-possessed man who meets Jesus, and Jesus changes his life. And I just want you to be reminded about what he tries to do and then what Jesus tells him he needs to do. Mark chapter 5, verse 18. It says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. He said, God had changed his life. He said, Jesus, I just want to stay close to you. I'm going to stay here near you, where it's safe, where I know I'm loved. And Jesus says, nah, verse 19. Jesus did not let him go, but told him, go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in these 10 cities that he lived in how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. He says, no, 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 you can't stay here. That the legacy that you want to build happens when you go out there. And they don't need a lengthy explanation. They need a living example of a life changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to explain all he is. Just express what he has done because you know that better than anybody else. What he's done for you, the way he's changed your life. You are leaving a legacy. Is it the one you want to be left when you leave? What legacy are you leaving through the life you're currently living? Is it one really driven by, motivated in love for other people? Because when it becomes that, you'll leave a legacy 
that will far outlive you. Stand with me. Father God, thank you so much for putting us in this time and in this place and giving us the opportunity to be your witnesses. God, thank you for those that have come before us, that have shaped us, molded us, inspired us. For every brick that was laid by each hand that put a foundation under our feet that we now stand upon. And God, help us to do better. To do better. To leave something even better than we were given. Help us to not just live with a sense of urgency, but to walk with an awareness of the legacy that we're leaving, legacy that's being built with every conversation and every encounter, every time we get the opportunity to represent you well. And God, put a love in our hearts that is so deep, it transforms the way we see everything in our world. And God, help us to leave a legacy that honors you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you for worshiping with us today. We'd love to hear from you. Hit that respond tab on the Vintage Church app. If you're watching online, we'd love to hear from you as well. We hope you have an amazing week. We'll see you next time. Give God some glory as you head out today. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Vintage Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at vintagechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Vintage Church app by going to app.vintagechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.